Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. Woo! Isn't this an amazing day? Easter Day, Resurrection Sunday, and I'm so privileged to be speaking to you today for the next 20 minutes just from Scripture to try and explain something of the magnitude of this great day. And can I just say, if you're a guest or a visitor, just welcome. You're so welcome here. And just sit and relax for these next 20 minutes. Just like soak it in. Uh, If you're online, enjoy this. Listen to it. But I'm praying that God will speak to you. Because there is such good news to grasp this day. And over the course of this day, we've got, I think, 24 of you getting baptized. Let's just give it up for everyone who's getting baptized. So I've called this talk today, A New World. A New World, as this is what each of you who's getting baptized today are entering into in this symbolic and deeply spiritual act. And this is what every one of us here today celebrate as we look back at that first Easter Sunday, resurrection day when Jesus came out of the tomb into new life, defeated sin and death, and released forgiveness on any who call on his name. So I thought if there was a title for the talk, it's a new world has opened up for each of us. So what is so great about Easter? What does the world say about Easter? Well, I caught one of our major supermarkets Easter adverts the other day on TV. I won't say the name, but you could put it in Wordle. And um, (laughs) there was a a woman in a garden with some shears making a bunny out of a hedge, if anyone has seen it. And the voiceover comes over, what's so great about Easter? And these are the things our major supermarket tell us is so great about Easter. One, chocolate everywhere. Any chocolate fans in the room or online? Here we are. Chocolate everywhere. Two, choosing who you have dinner with. Interesting. Three, a mountain of hot cross buns. Any hot cross buns fans in the room? Anyone not a fan of hot cross buns at all? Raise a hand. Yeah, I'm with you here. And finally, and for some of you the best bit, you get a visit from a real-life fluffy bunny. Any bunny fans in the room? (laughs) Why don't you have a minute, turn to your neighbor, out of those three things, chocolate, a mountain of hot cross buns, or a real-life fluffy bunny, what would you most like to hang out with today? Go, two minutes together. If you're online, type it out. Okay, that's enough time. That's enough time. Now, I know these things are all good things, but honestly, we must ask ourselves, is this it? Is that the magnitude of what Easter Day means for all of us? I mean, it's sad, isn't it? Is this where we've got to in our understanding of Easter food and pets, the two great comforts of life? That's what Easter's about. In fact, that list from our major supermarket sounds like a party to just celebrate spring, doesn't it? A spring party together. Not the biggest display of both almighty power, the biggest power in all the universe, and, crucially combined, 
with the most kind love in all the world. That's what Easter is about. The biggest display of power in all the universe and the most kind, focused on you, each of us love and kindness that God would send his son to die for each of us. Tom Wright, one of the greatest theologians of this century, says this about Resurrection Day. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus isn't about an odd event in the first century. Instead, it's about rediscovering hope in the 21st century. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. That's what we're celebrating today. That the last word is not war. The last word is not our pain or suffering. The last word is not your financial worry, your relational breakdowns. The last word is not your anxieties. The last word is not the stain of our sin. The last word is that Jesus reigns, that he has conquered all these things. It's worthy of praise that Jesus reigns. And those words are the first words of the whole new Easter world we are invited into, every one of you. And again, you might be sitting here thinking, oh, I'm not really a part of this. I'm just, I've just brought, been brought along. But it's for you. This is a surprise day today. It's for you. You thought you were just going to get through this one. Get home. Get back to the mountain of hot cross buns. No, it's for you. There's a whole new world. And so I'm going to read now one of the key passages from the gospel accounts. Four accounts of this event happening. Four accounts. I'm going to read from one of them, the gospel of John. It's quite a long passage, but it's really important. It's John chapter 20, verse 1 to 18, and it'll be on the screen, or you can follow it to check. I'm not making it up if you wish. John 20, 1 to 18. It says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Pause. If you know Peter at all, this is exactly what he does. He just goes straight in. Everyone else is like, oh, maybe. Should we go in? Should we not? He runs straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside once he checked that Peter was okay having gone in. That would have been me, by the way. I don't know who you would be in this story. He saw and believed, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, where have you put him? And I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. What an amazing account, a breathtaking account of the first Easter morning of Mary and the disciples encountering what had happened that morning, trying to get their heads around what has happened that's broken open a whole new world. But I, when I study this passage, I particularly am drawn to the details. I love the details in this account. And I want to draw your attention to two of the details. The first one is this in verses 6 and 7, because these details tell us something significant for Easter for us today. In verse 6 and 7, Peter goes inside the tomb and he sees two separate pieces of grave clothes left behind. He sees the linen that would have been wrapped around Jesus' body. It would have had expensive spices all in it. And he sees a separate piece of linen, a cloth that would have been around Jesus' head. That's what he sees left behind in the tomb rather than a dead Jesus. And I love this detail. And I thought I'd ask Levi, our littlest one in our family, he's seven, to illustrate what this looks like. Because it's hard to get our head around, isn't it? So I asked Levi to pretend to be Jesus in the tomb for us, okay? To help you with this. And I want to just thank um, Andrew Sack, Ian Paul, Bruce Milne, and a few others I've um, learned this from. But here's a picture to help you. All right, here is Levi... Pretending to be Jesus, top left in the tomb, okay? That's what it would have looked like if they looked in. You can laugh, it's all right, it's, it's just Levi, okay? He, he's always all right. That's him pretending to be Jesus in the tomb. If they'd looked in and Jesus was still dead, he would have looked like that. The bottom left, if they'd looked in and grave robbers have stolen the body, that's what they would have seen. The bottom right is our Easter truth. That they look in and they see the separate bits of grave clothes left where Jesus would have been. The top right is just a teenager's bedroom for you. (laughs) So, what's the significance of this? What's the significance of this? Well, these same grave clothes, come with me on this. These same grave clothes are mentioned in another story of someone coming back to life, Lazarus in John eleven forty four. But there's a crucial difference with Jesus and resurrection day. You see, Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus resuscitates Lazarus back to life and he comes out 
in the same grave clothes, he went in, one around his body and one around his head, the same words used in our passage. In fact, Jesus has to command Lazarus' friends to remove the grave clothes, the signs of death from him. You see, Lazarus hasn't gone through death, he's gone in and come back out again. Think of the bullring car park. Yeah, there's the red lights on the green lights. You know, you go in and you have to reverse back out again, right? You can't just smash through a car park. Some of you might have tried when you can't find the exit. That one under the Broadway Plaza, I can never find the exit. Anyone else with me on that? You're with me on that. It's a hard car park. Lazarus hasn't gone through death. He's gone in and come back out. But what Mary and Peter see in the tomb on Easter morning is the grave clothes remaining in the tomb. Two pieces, the body clothing and the face clothing because Jesus hasn't gone into death and backed back out again. He hasn't been resuscitated. He's gone through. He's been resurrected. What that means is he has smashed all the barriers to you and I flourishing. Life to the full. The two things that limit us and hinder us, sin, our own mistakes and failings, the things we get trapped in, and then death, the final drop-off, fall-off-the-stage moment, he smashed through them. He hasn't gone in and freaked out and come back out. I mean, that would be powerful enough. That's what he's done with Lazarus. He's pulled him back out. But Jesus goes in, fearless and confident that his Father will vindicate him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He walks in. He faces sin and death and just swipes them out of the way. It's not a battle. He's king. He's Lord. He's God. Through him, in him, and by him, everything was created. He knows what he's doing. There was never a doubt, and yet doubts come in our hearts, even today as we sit here. Is this real? Is this true? But Scripture says, and the Spirit testifies in our hearts, this is true. This is true reality, and it's there for us to step into a whole new resurrected world. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? He rose up not to die again. And this changes everything. No wonder that Mary, uh, running to Peter in verse 2, or crying in verse 11 outside the tomb, she's just, what has happened? She just can't get our head around it. And we, we can't quite get our heads around it. And, and maybe that's you here today, but you felt something in our singing, didn't you? You felt something in our worship. As you look around, all these people gathered here, you feel something must be true about this. But you don't quite get it. What's going on? Jesus has gone through. Death and resurrection weren't just the gateway for him, but they've opened up a gateway to a new world for all of us. And here's one of the myths of Easter, that Easter is just about eternal life for us. That if you call on the name of Jesus when you die, you will live beyond death with God in heaven. But Easter isn't just about quantity of life. Quality of life is what Easter is all about. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. A new world, not just for when you die, but a new world for now. Forgiven, loved, 
living with purpose, partnering with God, new life, new hope, new vision, new motives, new willpower, new thinking, new security, new purpose, new start now. That's what Easter is all about for each of us. And you see, Easter tells us of a God whose tendency is to break through barriers. Think of Israel escaping from Egypt in the Exodus. Our human tendency is to keep hold of our grave clothes, isn't it? Our human tendency is to get stuck, to drive into the car park space and get stuck with our own fears, our own patterns of behavior that hurt us and hurt others. We can easily get trapped. And the lie comes, what has been set in motion is not going to change. But the message of Easter is that Jesus has burst through and created a new world way for you to walk in. There is hope. There is freedom. There is a new way for you. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Such good news. And so to baptism. And so to baptism, which we're heading towards. Here's a picture from one of our previous baptisms. Look at that. Soak it in, because you will literally be soaking later. Soak it in. What's it speak of to you? Just look at it. What kind of words form in your mind, your heart? Notice the detail. What's it speaking to you today? A whole new world. But so often when I chat with people, because I've done baptisms in the pool today, so often when I chat with people about doing this, that there is a, a fear, and it's a legit fear, right? Like everyone's looking at me, point number one. Uh, point number two, more importantly, will I come back out of the water? <laughs> will I come back out of the water alive? And I'm not, I'm not helping my own children's fear about doing this right now, but... And do you know what? There's something important about feeling that fear, but going through it anyway. Going through with it anyway, because it's deeply symbolic. You see, following Jesus, choosing to say yes to Jesus, we're supposed to go in and die, metaphorically and spiritually. We're supposed to leave behind our old clothes. We're supposed to leave them behind our old ways of thinking and patterns. And most importantly, we're supposed to die to and leave behind our self-obsession. Looking at ourselves rather than looking at Christ who leads us to look at others. And, and we don't want to leave this stuff behind because, why? Because we think this stuff is us. We think it's who we are. And if we leave it behind in the tomb, well then, who will I become? Who will I be? And there's this moment of trust as you literally go under the water. And there's this moment of trust for us as we say yes to Jesus for the first time today or for the hundredth time as we reaffirm our faith in him. There's this moment of trust that he will pull us out of the water. That he will pull us up again. There's a story of a woman who, in, when Jesus is alive, all she could do is grab onto the hem of his cloak to be pulled through death into new life with him. All you need is faith like a child. 
Even if all you could do is grab a little bit of Jesus, it's enough to pull you through into resurrection life. And when you come out of this pool, those who are getting baptized today and those in the future, you're thinking, I want to do this. When you come out, when you come through, you don't come out in your own power. And again, symbolically, we're pulling you up. You're not coming out in your own strength. You would stay under. But we're pulling you out because we're pulling you forward symbolically into this new world resurrection order. The old is gone. The new has come. Romans 6.3 says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new world has opened up. And I want to close by noticing one final detail for us from this story. One final detail from this story. And it comes from verse 14 onwards. I'm just going to remind us of this little bit. At this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus. If you could pop it on the screen, that'd be great. John 20, 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. Now, you and I, If we've come back through death, we've resurrected and we're back, you and I, what would you do? How would you display yourself? I would be like, ta-da! Woo! Hey, it's me. Mary, it's Jesus. Woo! You can practice this at home. I've practiced it at home. You can practice it at home. When you get home, just like, imagine you're coming out. Woo! Yeah, what would you do? Jesus. Why would we do it like that? Because we're still self-obsessed. We're still thinking of ourselves, really. Jesus, what does he do? He comes up close. He comes off any stage, and he just comes up close. And he says, Mary. Because it's all about her. It's all about her. All the power in all the universe, and yet all the intimacy and closeness and kindness of love heart to heart, Mary, one word, one invitation to step in to the new world, a new Eve for a new age, Mary, a new foundation stone woman for the new world order, Mary. Mary, who's had seven demons in her, according to Luke 8 too. What's that tell us? No one's counted out. No one's counted out of the new world order. Mary. And so today, as I close, the resurrected Jesus, what if he has his attention on you today, like he had it on Mary? What if he's coming to you and saying your name? He's speaking to your heart. One word, one invitation into the new world. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? You can't go back to the mountain of hot cross buns and the dinner where you choose who to invite and the chocolate and the real life fluffy bunny. You need to respond. 
What do you want to say? And if you're not sure, all you need to do, it's not like big us, but just try start talking back to Jesus. Just try talking back to Jesus and see where that takes you. There's a whole new world. Are we going to drive the DeLorean, I worked hard at this analogy, at 87 miles an hour, or are we going to get to 88? Are we going to mess around in the wardrobe with all the coats, or are we going to press in and start speaking back to Jesus and enter Narnia? There's a whole new world for you this Easter. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.